welcome back to this week's episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast. An honest account of acting life, plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, a.k.a. One Broke Actress. What's up, guys? Episode 7, coming in hot. We're going to take an abrupt left turn today, and we are going to talk about taking things off screen and into the microphone. Today we're going to talk all about voiceovers. This is something you guys have requested from the beginning and I am super excited to have with me Greg Chun. And he is someone I met back in the day at a waiting room. I was sitting waiting to go in for a voiceover and he sat down next to me and was just like, hey, what's up? How are you? And the second he starts talking, you're going to realize why he is a voiceover artist. His voice is so smooth. He's also the nicest guy. Um, Greg is going to share with us, his experiences, how he got into voiceover personally a little bit later in life than you would think. He also shares with us how he learned from the man himself, Don LaFontaine, and uh, how his idea of what voiceover is and making a career out of it has changed over the years. He's also been producing um, his own things uh, recently, so he has a beautiful sound studio in his house, and he is going to talk a little bit about what it's like being on the other side of the casting area. He is awesome. You guys are going to love him. I think you're going to learn a lot. Uh, He talks about how to get into voiceover if it's something you're curious about, whether classes are worth it, whether your funny voices and accents are worth it, and what you want to work on for this world. So, guys, get comfortable, or if you're driving your car, two hands on the wheel. I don't know why I said that. I never even put two hands on the wheel. Ugh, whatever. It's episode six, seven. See, normally I would cut this, but I'm doing this thing this season where I don't really edit as much, so you guys get really the raw stuff. <laughs> so, dun da da dun All right, guys. Without further ado, please enjoy Greg Chen. Okay, so I'm here with Greg Chun. Hi. Hi. How's <laughs> Thanks. it going? Good. This is my first morning podcast I think I've ever recorded. Really? Yeah, most actors don't do things at 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, I've got a son, so... Oh, He's two. Yeah. That'll change it. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it totally, totally turns your life upside down. In the best way. Sometimes. (laughs) And sometimes in a really horrible way. So it's it's a mixed bag. (laughs) Well, let's talk about your acting career. Let's start with how you got into what you're doing now and basically how you got to LA. Where did you grow up? So I was uh, I was born and raised in the Chicago suburbs. And I have to say suburbs because when you say you're from Chicago, like there's some cool factor that I don't deserve because I'm not from the city. But <laughs> it was just like, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was cold. It was windy. And um, I came out to California because my, uh, my brother went to Stanford. Uh, he was a year older than me. He went to Stanford and then I uh, got in the year afterwards probably because he got in and they thought I was just as smart as he was, which I'm not. Um, and so I went, uh, I came out to California for school and that was in... Oh, gosh, should I really date myself? You don't have to if you don't want to. That was in 2010. Um, (laughs) uh, So I was in Northern California until about um, uh, a couple years after graduation. And the thing is, all of my friends that I made at school, like I studied kind of, but I spent most of my time in like theater and singing and, you know, performing on stage and this and that. Did you do that when you were in high school too? In Not so much actually. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because when I was at home, you know, when you grow up Asian and you've got parents that want to make sure you don't do something stupid with your life, they're like, do something practical, like learn how to X, Y, Z. And so um, there was a lot of struggle with my folks trying to, at the time, actually my ambition was to be a musician. Okay. 
and a singer. And um, so, you know, I'd be toting my keyboard around and there was a lot of tension with me and my folks as far as like, why are you doing this? Why aren't you studying? And et cetera, et cetera. So when, um, when I went to undergrad, they said, okay, well, at least learn something practical. So I studied more or less computer science. Um, okay. And that was fine. I actually really like it. Um, but I, all my, but in my off time when I wasn't in class was all with just like singers, dancers, actors, writers, I mean, just creative folks. And so everybody moved to LA after we graduated, except for me. I basically was the only one who was left behind working for a computer company in the Bay area. Cause you know, it's like tech uh-huh. hub of the world. Uh-huh. Right. So, but I only, I could only take a couple years of that. And then I was just like, okay, I've got to come down and see what I can make happen down here. So I moved down here. My first job was at DreamWorks, actually, as a computer tech. So okay. we were working on the Prince of Egypt, that animated feature. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And it was super crazy. There were only about 40 people in the company, I think, when I started. At DreamWorks? Yeah. Yeah. What? And we were in, you know, now there's that animation campus in Glendale. We yeah. were in that building right at Barham and, uh, um, sorry, why? Forest Lawn. Oh, with the big cloud Sort that of, one right there? There's the shiny one that says New York Film Academy. Uh-huh. And then across the street on the Universal backlot, actually, there's a sort of like, it's sort of like a deep red brownish building with uh-huh. black windows. That's where we were located. Oh, by our old voiceover office. Yes, exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so insular for the podcast. Go on. <laughs> so we um, we were there and I, I, you know, during the day I was doing that. And at night I was music directing theater. And so I was playing piano, doing vocal directing, music directing. Um, I got into a little bit of music production and composing and stuff. But around 2001, I freaked out and I was like, I can't handle L.A. anymore. Like, these people are so weird. There's too How many long actors. you had been here at that point? I had been here for uh, five years. Okay, that's, that's a crazy point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like, everybody's so strange and I don't know. I just wasn't ready for this industry, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided I'm going to become a computer science professor. I'm going to get a PhD, and I'm going to teach computer science for the rest of my life. So I went to UCSD down in San Diego, and I was in the PhD program there. And I, um, I, I, at the point that I got my master's degree, along the way to the PhD, you get your master's degree. I was doing some research, and I, I just really didn't believe in it. I sort of, I had gone down this research path that I kind of, uh, in the end, felt like it was there wasn't a whole lot of point to it. I didn't really see it helping anybody anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, everybody, all my friends who had moved to LA were starting to make short films and start to do this and that. And um, I was getting phone calls like, hey, do you want to do music for our, you know, for my short and this and that? I'm like, oh, well, I'm not there. And so I was like, okay, I've got to give this music career one last shot. So I moved back here in 2004. Did you finish your master's? I and finished then my master's back? and then I bailed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could have stuck around for the PhD, but it would have been three plus more years of working on stuff that I just didn't really, I wasn't really passionate about it. You yeah, know? that's a lot of work for yeah. something you don't love. Yeah, exactly. So I came back, I was able to make uh, a couple of uh, connections, and I started writing music mostly for commercials and for reality TV. Great. <laughs> so that was super interesting. Um, oh, yeah, because they have to have all their own original stuff most yeah. of the time. <laughs> I mean, most of the time, they're actually nowadays, and even back then, they just pull from a library. So they have a library of music, so it's your stressed out music, it's your crying music, it's uh-huh. your, you know, it's the wacky segment music. And so I was writing mostly piano-based music for a, a show called Starting Over, and it was this show where, you know, what's her, I don't want to pronounce this correctly, Iyanla? 
mm. Fix My Life. You know that show? Uh, yes. Yes, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Anyway, she was back. The, the premise of the show was they shoved a bunch of women into a house and got them these life coaches that would like, you know, somebody had a issue with their weight and another one wanted to start a new career and this and that. Mm-hmm. So all each woman had her own challenges. And <clears throat> most of the musical was either them arguing music or one of them breaking down and crying music. <laughs> So sounds like The Bachelor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wrote a bunch of music like that, and it's still it's so funny. Once you write that music and it gets out there, it starts going around the world and it gets placed in the most random. I get my statements from ASCAP, and the music's mm-hmm. in the most random shows. Like, will you explain what ASCAP is? Because I only know that because I went to school for mass media. Oh, and I, it was my minor. I created it myself because I wanted to learn about that, wow. and I feel like no one talks about that anymore. Yeah, so ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, these are organizations. They're called performance ro- performance royalty organizations, PROs. I may be completely that may be completely wrong as far as yeah. Okay, good. Um, they collect money on behalf of composers, songwriters, lyricists when that music is placed into media and broadcast. So TV, film, whatever. Um, if you write a piece of music, if you write a song and they license it for, you know, Arrow and it's on a promo or whatever, you should get paid for that. And so they're the ones who are responsible for monitoring broadcasts worldwide uh, 24-7 and making sure that you get money for when your material is used. They'll pull your YouTube video if you have Britney Spears in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. So do you, um, Is that an organization you have to join? Yeah. Or, okay, is it kind of like the union? It, you know what's interesting? It's not technically a union. Okay. Um, actually, composers don't have a union. There is no union. Oh. Um, yeah, we're just sort of, you can join the musician's union as a musician and a performer, but as far as somebody who writes and creates music, there isn't really any union that I know of. So you pay, do you get your license through ASCAP and then that's how your music gets taken care of? It's more that if you, you don't even need a license of any kind. If you make music and somebody puts it somewhere and you join ASCAP or BMI, you just say, hey, I wrote this piece and it's in this thing and they go, oh, okay. And, okay, you know. so you like join. Mm-hmm. Yeah, them. you okay. sort of become a member, but it's not like you have to you know, pay dues or anything like that. Cool. Not that I know of. I hope not because I've not <laughs> been paying any. <laughs> Some years of back taxes. <laughs> yeah. You owe us $25,000. <laughs> Okay, so you're back in L.A. I'm back you're in L.A. composing music. Doing the music thing. And I was music directing. Well, it's so funny. I was actually hired as Pat Leonard's coffee boy. Um, Pat Leonard is this brilliant composer. He wrote a bunch of Madonna tunes. He's okay. incredible. Just a genius of a man. Um, he uh, wrote a musical called The Ten Commandments. It was actually based off of a musical that was a big hit in France, and they brought it over to the U.S., and they rewrote all the music. Hmm. So, I mean, it's the story of Moses, like you would expect. And we were at, when it was called the Kodak Theater, we were there. Uh-huh. And um, Val Kilmer was playing Moses, and <laughs> which was odd because he played Moses. He voiced Moses for Prince of Egypt. So when actually, oh, he's very Moses. He's so Moses. He's all about just doing <laughs> Moses. Um, so the first day, actually, I met Val on on for the Ten Commandments, the musical. I was like, hey, you know, I actually have spent years hearing you as Moses on this other film. It's just a weird thing. And he said, who are you? And then that was the end of that interaction. Um, <laughs> but it was interesting because I was just hired as Pat's assistant. So I would, you know, bring him coffee and this and that and take notes during rehearsals if I thought they'd be helpful. Um, and at some point, I started realizing that he was kind of arranging vocals on the fly because that's how Pat works. He's there with the singers, the musicians, and he says, let's come up with something. And 
it's a really interesting process. But I was like, oh, okay, you know what? I'm going to start taking this stuff down so that there's a record of it and it's on. I know musical theater performers and they like to have music. They don't mm-hmm. want to just remember, oh, this is what I sang. Pat was used to working with studio singers where they're all about, oh, yeah, this is what I sang and they totally just remember it. So I started taking that stuff down and he was like, oh, okay, you're actually not totally useless. Like, good, <laughs> thanks, this works. Um, and then gradually I started playing piano for rehearsals with the singers. And then, um, you know, there was a little bit of uh, kind of drama in the music department for this um, show. I don't want to get into it too much, but uh, the short of it is the music director and the assistant music director, they kind of left the show and I just kind of kept getting promoted as people would leave. Sweet. So in the, yeah, in the course of maybe four weeks of rehearsal, I became the music director and the conductor of the show. Wait, from an assistant yeah. coffee boy? Yeah. <laughs> it was the strangest thing. You know, it was interesting. I think, I mean, I really shouldn't get into it too much, but there were just sort of stylistic uh, differences. Okay. I think with, um, the music that Pat had written and the music directors that were in place, there was a little bit of a disconnect as far as um, kind of musical style. And I'm very much a pop player on the piano. I play pop and I play Broadway. And Pat had written a very pop musical. And so just the sensibility, I think it just gelled more with what I naturally do. So anyway, long story short is, well, it's not a long story already, but he, um, the romantic lead of the show was a woman named Nita Whitaker, this is before your time, but there was a show called Star Search back in the day. I know Star Search. You know Star Search? Okay, yeah. awesome. So there was a guy, uh, you know, hosted by Ed McMahon, mm-hmm. and Nita Whitaker was one of the $100,000 vocalist winners. Cool. Incredible singer. Um, lovely, lovely, amazing woman. And so little did I know that her husband at the time was a man named Don LaFontaine, who's, as you know, the king wow. of voiceover, you know, promos, trailers, everything. Um, and so I met Don back then and, Oh, uh, you met him? Oh yeah. That's oh, so cool. Oh yeah. Cause he came to rehearsal one day or maybe it was a dress or a run through. I can't remember. And, um, actually because what had happened was we were rehearsing at the Kodak and I had the microphone because I was talking to the cast and it was a cast of 40 people. I think it was a gigantic cast and we were running through one of the numbers and then, you know, with a little downtime, I was just joking around with the mic and I was like, he was a slave back in, you know, the days I can't even remember. But <laughs> Nita comes up to me later and she's like, you know, that's my husband that you're doing. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean that's your husband that I'm doing? Like, he's like, she's like, he's the guy. He's the guy who does something. You've got to be kidding me, right? So <laughs> I met Don and he's, he's just the nicest, like, he was the nicest, most gentle, like, pussycat of a man. He was just so sweet. And we became friends. And we would, he would invite me to the house. And I would get to watch him work. And that's when I first, like, learned, oh, this is something that people actually do for a living. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that that was your I know. big intro was <laughs> It's kind of ridiculous, right? If you guys don't know who he is, it's uh, in a world. Like <laughs> that's right. That. All the trailers. One man. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, okay, so. You saw that happening. Did it make it look like a legitimate career? But you had worked on, at like, the uh, Prince of Egypt, so you'd already kind of been yeah. I had been in the world a little kind of. I mean, I you know it was interesting. Like, obviously, you watch cartoons and you logically it occurs to you, well, these voices must come from somewhere. But for some reason, 
I had never actually seen it happening. I had never seen somebody recording, right? Very weird to watch. It is. And it's that's I think that's what really broke down the wall for me is actually sitting there in Don's studio and watching him do it was a promo for the Dodgeball DVD. So it was literally like take life by the ball. You know, it was one of those kind of things. <laughs> and I was like, this is hilarious. And the studio was on the line and they were coming through the speakers going, Great, Don, you know, let's just do one more for safety and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I witnessing that whole process, I was like, okay, this is this is how it works, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what that was the big difference, I think, is actually being in the in the room with the <laughs> the quintessential artist and seeing him do his thing. I'm like, wow, this is cool. So I started talking to him about it and I'm like, hey Don, you know, I you know, I, I, I really like doing voices. Is this something I can do? And you know how it is, anybody who wants to get into voiceover, I do voices. Right. And it's so funny how misguided that that approach is <laughs> that we all learn eventually. But I did that. I'm like, hey, I do funny voices, Don. You think it's something I could do? He's just like, hey man, if you're you know, if you're ever serious, like let's let's yeah, let's work. Let's make you a demo. And sadly we lost Don. Um and I, you know, I never really got the ch- I didn't know he was gonna go away, you know yeah. what I mean? And so I never really got the chance to uh, so after Don passed away, I was like, okay, you know what? Like we had talked about this, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and so I started studying with a coach and I started, you know, doing some random little things that my friends, once they knew I had interest, they were like, Hey, why don't you try and do this thing? And, um, Did you, was it a coach, a class? So primarily it was? it was a coach. Her name's Carol Kimball. You know, Carol, right? Yes. Yeah. So Carol, she's, you I know, so. casting director and coach in town. Wonderful. Just wonderful woman. Oh my gosh. She really whipped me into shape and kind of, uh, got me. Cause when I listened to some of my original coaching sessions, I'm like, mm-hmm. you are terrible, dude. Like <laughs> you have no idea what you're doing. Oh, I'd love to hear this. Oh, it's so bad. It really is like commercial reads that you're like, wow, like who would ever believe that? When you started to invest time into this, did you already have a family? No. Were you already married? Okay. Oh no, no, no. It was just me. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it's a, uh, a harder transition when you have like uh, people relying on you. Yeah, I mean, on, I guess it depends on your situation. Maybe you've got a very hands-off family that just leaves you alone. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they don't like you. But um, yeah, it is a it is a real schlep, and it's mm-hmm. a, it takes a lot of time and dedication. And to pay and, a coach and stuff like that's oh yeah, put some effort into this. Oh, that's no joke either. I mean, there is there really was. A financial investment. Very much so. You know, I mean, this is once a week for eight months. That's, and that's a lot of money. And that's a lot of money. But this was, you know, thankfully, I had a music career that was sort of funding my voiceover aspirations. Yeah, that's what's interesting about this is that you kind of had this, like, background already. And you were already, it's not like you were, like, 21 and yeah. barely getting by. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, or maybe you were 21. We don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Age. No, I was totally 21. Um, you, that's something that I think is really essential for people to, because I hear a lot of people saying like, oh, voiceover sounds really cool and it sounds like really easy money. Like, how do I do that? You know, I can talk and it's just that there's so much more to it and it takes so much to get to a point where you are, what you're doing is competitive, you know? It's the same way I feel about how people talk about commercials now. They're like, oh, I could totally do that. I'm like, okay, well, now you have to join the Olympic team to get a commercial. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not that easy. Yeah, yeah. And plus, I mean, all, I imagine, I mean, I did a little bit of on-camera commercial. I did one McDonald's commercial, and then I was like, okay, you know what? My batting average is so bad for <laughs> on-camera commercials <laughs> that it doesn't make sense for me to be driving to Ocean Park from Burbank, you know? Uh-huh. Oh, God, I hate that a lot. Oh, yeah. It's and so, so and I was just, you know, voiceover just seemed to be... Because voiceover doesn't matter what you look like. I mean, people say that all the mm-hmm. time. But you know, as a person of color, also, it's like it's 
it's a bigger deal too, yeah. you know, because, um, whatever diversity, it's a whole other discussion. But, um, at some point I decided, okay, well this on camera stuff doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for me. Cause I'm, I'm spending a lot of time going to auditions and I'm really not working. So I'll stick with the voiceover where I audition at home and I'm working, you know, a bit more. Mm-hmm. So, um, did you, after you worked with that coach, did you end up having a demo? Did you, how did you find an agent? Oh, like right. what was the process there? So that was interesting. Um, Carol was in the same building as TGMD before she moved. She's moved now her office, but that's where she was when we were coaching. And after eight months or so, she's like, you know something like, I think you're ready. And I think I want to introduce you to this agency down the hall because I don't know if they have anybody like you. And AKA, I don't think there were many Asian people on the roster. I think, (laughs) (laughs) I think it was David Jung and Fio Chen and me. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) so, um, I, and this is crazy too. It's so funny. Like my journey, there's a lot of really, um, things that just seem to fall into place. I went and I, uh, Carol set me up with a meeting with Vanessa and Ilko and Kevin. And I was like, Oh, okay. Why don't you go and, uh, meet with them? And I did. And they're like, okay, well you're here. Why don't we jump in the booth and read something? Here's an audition. We just got in, uh, it's for a company called Blizzard and it's a game called World of Warcraft. And it just so happens that the whole module that they created, the big new like Blizzard expansion pack for Warcraft was set in this world where there's all these Asian accented speaking pandas. (laughs) And so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this so is why I love this job. I know it was ridiculous. So they put the copy in front of me and I actually wasn't auditioning for the pandas. I was auditioning for this other race that was, you know, also kind of with an Asian bent, but they were all really big and angry. Mm-hmm. And, um, I auditioned and I booked it and it was like, okay, so you booked that was this. one of the first ones you read for them. That was the first thing I read for them. No kidding. It was literally the day I went in for the meeting to meet them. They're like, okay, well let's get you in the booth. We had something coming today. Maybe it'll be right for you. And I booked that. So then they're like, okay, sure, we'll take you on. Good deal. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. I didn't book another job for a year and a half after that. <laughs> and that was auditioning every week. Every freaking week I'm in there reading, you know, hey, guys, great to see you. Let's get in the yeah. booth. A year and a half, Sam. Like, can you imagine? Like, Oh, I, yeah, I, I <laughs> you know, know what I mean? Yep, 100%. How many times along that year and a half you go, maybe I should think about doing something else? <laughs> But the whole time you were still working your other job. Yes. I was still writing music, okay. you know, so it's so essential to have a way to survive. That's flexible, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so in that way, I, I wasn't, I don't think I was as stressed as maybe somebody who, you know, doesn't have as uh, consistent a, a career to kind of fuel their ambitions. Yeah. Um, so I was fortunate in that way. But um, so but, in that year and a half, when you're like, wow, did I just strike lucky once and like, what am I doing? Did you continue to take class? Did you practice? Like, what oh, did you yes. do? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Because, and it's not like I booked that one job and I, st- and I said, oh, I'm good now. Right. Because I had heard from a lot of folks that like, you can't just rely on your agent to get your work. Like, you got to build your own brand. And so while I was auditioning every week and getting rejected for every job for a year and a half, <laughs> I was going to every workshop in town and meeting all of the casting directors, all of the coaches, like um, promo, animation, video games, commercials, all of it. Um, And it was really good experience. And I think eventually it planted the seed because it even takes time. I think once you meet a casting director, even if you impress them, a lot of times it can take time for them to go, oh, let's, let me maybe get Greg in the mix or let's get Sam in the mix because they have their go-tos already. Mm -hmm. They have their people that cover everything they do. Um, And so... 
it took me getting in front of people uh, sometimes even twice before they're like, oh, okay, let's let's see what let's try out on something. Um, one of my biggest regrets, actually, there's uh, there was a casting director at Disney who I was so excited and I was just like, eagerness is something that can be self-destructive, over-eagerness, right? Mm-hmm. Not only in the way you come off to people because, you know, if you're too eager with people, they're just like, ew, what's wrong with you? You know, it's like an energy <laughs> that people don't respond well to. But not only that, but as far as like putting a demo out there and getting an opportunity to... Here's what happened. I did a workshop. I met this Disney casting director, and he was like, "Yeah, you're you're not bad. Like, good job." And I was like, "Cool. Um, you know, do you guys ever do generals or anything?" And he's just like, and I don't know if he was just feeling saucy, but he's just like, "Yeah, sure, come on in for a general." I should not have gone in for this general because I was not ready to do it at all. Really? You know, it, it just. I mean, you understand. I'm in the middle of a period where I'm not booking anything for a year and a half. Clearly, I'm not something is not quite up to snuff uh-huh. yet, right? So this was not the time for me to get in front of the biggest Disney casting director in town. Mm, and your resume has like one thing one on One thing it. on it. Yeah. And not even that because I can't even talk about it yet because you record oh, for a video game and it takes uh... eight months for the thing to come out. So I go in and I bore him to tears. It was just not, it just, I just didn't have it, you know? I just wasn't bringing anything good to the table. Mm-hmm. And so it was clear afterwards, he was just like, you know what, you know, keep working. And he's a super nice guy, but I could tell he's like, that was a waste of time. So a lot of times in acting generals, I feel like you meet someone and it's just kind of a chat. Did you actually like read for him? Oh yeah. Okay. I read three different pieces of copy for him. Okay. And I could tell by the end of it, he just wanted to get me out of the building. (laughs) He was just like, (laughs) he's just like, oh, because I mean, now that I've actually started directing now as well. I just finished okay. directing my first video game. Awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And I, I, I realized being on the other side of the glass, like, yeah, it can be really fatiguing if you're working with somebody who just isn't giving you good stuff to work mm-hmm. with. And so now in retrospect, I get it. I'm like, I know why he, I know why I never worked for him. Now, interestingly enough, I finally started to crack into some legit animation. You know, I did a couple episodes for Disney and DreamWorks the other week and Cartoon Network, whatever. But I'm certainly not because he said, hey, bring this guy in. <laughs> now, hopefully, um, you know, it'll be the type of thing where he'd be like, oh, okay, he's grown. And, and maybe I'll get another chance to actually kind of work with him personally. But um, it's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So then what was the next job you booked? Gosh, what was the next job I booked? I think it was probably just like a radio commercial. Yeah. Or something like that. You know, we get a lot of copy for radio and this and Lots, that. Lots, which yeah. is funny that that still is such a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What... Did you do in that meantime um, to work on like a demo? Did you go record one independently? Because you couldn't obviously use the stuff from the video game right. yet. Right, yeah. Um, so, okay, so when I was coaching with Carol, I did my own demo first. Okay. And self-producing demos, honestly, I don't recommend it. Even though I am a music producer and I produce music and sound effects, like the part that was missing was the, having the reads really land. Mm-hmm. Like, I can put music and sound effects on whatever. That's fine. And and ultimately, the people who are listening, they don't care as much about that. They want to hear your voice. They want to hear you act. Um, and so the perils of self-producing really comes from not having that third-party perspective to say, this could be better this way, this could be better that way. It's hard to really self-direct, you know? Yeah, it's like directing your own scene for your own acting role. You just yeah. really shouldn't do it. 
Yeah. And because here's the thing, you have your perspective. You want to have another perspective of somebody who doesn't maybe know you as well, or maybe, you know, somebody who's got a different take on the material, because that will only enrich what the end product is, because you've got another opinion in there. So my first demo that was self-produced, again, I listen to it now and I cringe. I'm like, this is awful. I'm still in the, like, let's do funny voices camp. I'm still in the uh, if I can make my voice sound like something different from me, that's what's impressive and that's what's going to make somebody hire me. And that's something that a lot of people are getting to. They, they, they just go, oh, I can, you know, I can make my voice sound like this or that or I can sound like Kermit the Frog and whatever. And they think people are going to go, oh, my gosh, you sound just like Kermit the Frog. Get in here and let me pay you a whole bunch of money for it. <laughs> and what they don't realize is that every voice actor in town can sound like Kermit the Frog and some of them are the most amazing actors you could come across. Those are the people who are going to get hired, you know. So uh, later what I ended up doing was I went to a guy named Chuck Duran who makes amazing demos and Chuck did all of my demos and that really kind of set me off on a good path to start, to start you know, playing with the big boys. Let's touch on that a little bit. Do you think that a lot of the first demo should be just your voice as it naturally is? Do you think, because I think a lot of actors are confused as to what like range they're supposed to portray, especially in an original demo, because we have a lot of actors who are curious about voiceover work and how to get into it, yeah. and they don't really know what encompasses a good demo. You know, it's interesting because I think depending on who you're giving the demo to, you'll get different answers. There are some people who like this. There are some people who don't like any music and sound effects at all. Oh. There are some people who actually like it to sound like a real spot um, with music and explosions and gunshots and everything. So the the precursor to all this is that you can't please everyone all the time with your demo. There are going to be some people who say, eh, I'd rather this, that. Don't let that throw you. The point is to put out a demo there that most of the time is going to work well for you. There's always going to be somebody that has a problem with your demo, right? Mm. Um, so know that. Um, and so my personal opinion that I've developed over the years and what I like to hear when people are sending me stuff going, I want to get into voiceover, like, and I'm like, okay, well, send me whatever demos you have. I don't care a ton about music and sound effects, honestly. They could be there. They could not be there. It's not important to me. Um, what I want to hear right off is maybe the first two or three little snippets. Well, first of all, it should be about a minute long, a minute 20 at the most, and maybe have five, six, seven different colors for me to hear. Mm. Um, what I want to hear out of the first two or three spots is your voice. It could be a different emotion. It could be a different color. It could be a subtle twist on your voice, but it's got to sound like you, right? After that, throw me a curveball. Do a character-y thing, you know, a commercial that, let's say we're talking about a commercial demo. Mm -hmm. Do a commercial that has a character-y thing. Like, throw me something so I go, I've already had time to go, oh, okay, this this person is the, it's the mother. It's the uh, the guy who's great for doctors and bank copy. Mm -hmm. and, oh, this guy sounds like he's kind of a stoner. He's good for 7-Eleven commercials. Well, I don't know if 7-Eleven would want Taco me to say Bell. that. But yeah. <laughs> Taco Bell, perfect. <laughs> um, but let me have a couple spots to go, okay, this, who the, this is who the person is. That tells me, and an agent, in my opinion, what to do with you, what category to put you in. Because we all like to think we can do everything. Oh, I'm a voice actor. Oh, I can do everything. I can do this. I can do grandma. I can do little kids. You can't. Like, you know, maybe you are that one rare person who really can do anything, but it's, there are only so many, you know, of those people who have that truly have that gift. Yeah. And that's one thing I learned as well. So I came in going, oh, I can do this accent, that, that accent, I can do this and that. And I learned very quickly, there's always going to be somebody who does that better than me. You know? Sure, I speak French. I can do a French accent. There's a real French person. There's like 10 <laughs> real French people auditioning for this thing. 
So, you know, while accents and put-on voices are good tools to use to kind of uh, broaden the, the scope of jobs that you're able to take on, I don't think that's what you should focus on. And I think when people focus on, I'm a person of a thousand voices, I think that's a that's most of the time a bad direction to, to head in. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such good advice. Yeah, yeah. And that's, if I were to talk to myself back then, I would say, look, and what I found is most of the time what I'm getting hired for is just my own voice, different colors of it, but I'm not asked to play 60-year-old men. I'm not <laughs> asked to play, you know, eight-year-old boys. It's just not, there's just other people who are going to have that covered. Yeah. Yeah. So you really got to do you because it's so cliche, but nobody else is you. Nobody else does you. And you got to bring something unique to the table, your personality, your ability to act and be directed. And that's what's going to allow you to cut through all of the noise of a casting director listening to 300 auditions for one role, you know? Which sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> it is. So now that you're auditioning, I mean, I hate to say the word consistently because what is consistent here? Uh, where do you audition? Do you record at home? Um, do you go to the studio a lot? Uh, or like what, what's your game plan? For I that? mix it up. It honestly, okay. like I love to go into the agency when I can. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I'm, I'm just between family and career and well, two careers really. I'm, I'm so busy that it's, uh, my agency is not particularly close to where I live. Um, and so I don't get to go in nearly as often as I'd like, but Anytime I can, I like to go because it's good to show your face around your agents too. I was just going to say that I think that's once you do have an agent, it's great to pop in and yeah. make yourself known because it's easy to get lost in the mix of the voices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and don't be annoying about it. Don't be the guy who like leans up on the desk. So you see that game? I mean, like, don't be that person, but come in. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for the read. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they'll remember who you are. Yeah. So, um, and it also depends on what agency you're with. Some agencies are massive have so many people there's I would imagine it's actually kind of a tricky game trying to get them to remember who you are and to be top of mind um where I'm at it's actually it's a smaller agency it's more boutique and so you know you don't have that thing to manage so much Mm -hmm. right um but yeah I audition plenty at home I audition sometimes in person at studios around Burbank which is great um it's a real mix and you just sort of you know you just sort of do what every day is different yeah. And you do whatever you have to, you know. What do you record on at home? So I have uh, I have a booth that was built by Scott Peterson, who builds a lot of booths for the VO community. Cool. Yeah. Um, and he um, built me this great little bunker that's totally soundproof. I've got Ultra Touch panels, which is, oh. Ultra Touch is a fancy word for shredded blue jeans. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. It's literally recycled denim. And the thing about it is, especially for male voices, it's that it absorbs uh, lower frequencies so much better than your typical foam. Interesting. Yeah. And so unless you have a big old room, if you've got a smaller space, and mine is not tiny. My booth is like four by six, so it's, you know, it's okay. Cool. But having those in there really just eliminates the whole, I sound like I'm in a can or a submarine Mm -hmm. sound. So... He built me that. I use a 416 for my microphone. Okay. Um, I have a U87, but I, I just I don't use it as much because I find the 416 kind of is a little more directional and doesn't pick up as much of other stuff that's going on. So uh, that goes into like a hardware chain of this stuff called Shadow Hills, which is a high-end audio brand. Um, and then I use an Apogee Quartet audio interface uh, to go into my computer because I had to find something that would work for both my voiceover and my music work. Got it. And so, um, 
But you know what? The actual hardware is pretty inconsequential. Unless you get to a point where you're really doing a lot of actual jobs at home, for auditioning, you don't need to spend a lot. So is there something you used to have? Is there like a low-end version of stuff you've, like, or do you travel with anything, like if you're on vacation? Yeah, actually, I used to use an Apogee Duet. Okay. So the quartet is basically just a souped-up version of the duet, and I actually really enjoyed that one. It was fine for a single mic. You could travel with it. It's small, um, and it does the job, and it's not that expensive. Um, people who are really on a budget, I mean, you can just get these USB mics for 120 bucks that plug right into your computer, mm-hmm. and as long as you have a decent recording environment, it, it'll probably be okay for auditions. Yeah. Because, you know, recording quality with auditions, people kind of freak out and they go, oh, my gosh, I've got to build a $20,000 studio at home. Otherwise, I'm not going to get hired. And that's not what makes the difference in your auditions. Now, if your setup just sucks, that could get in the way, <laughs> right? But you don't have to spend a ton. For less than 1000 bucks. I think you can set yourself up with a situation that is going to have your provided you are on point with your acting and your reads. I think you'll be just as competitive with that. And I think it's more important, too, to work on the voice in like what you're doing first than to buy a bunch of equipment and like waste a lot of money. Like totally. I used to record auditions in my car on my phone because oh, yeah. it, it has a garage and it's very quiet. Cars are very quiet places. For <laughs> yeah. And actually iPhones and I mean, I think mobile phones in general nowadays, if you have headphones and you have a decent mic, like, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or rather you use the mic that's on the headphones. I've booked jobs off of that, you it's know? Crazy. Yeah. So it really does not, uh, oh, and Twisted Wave, Twisted amazing Wave. app. Great app for the phone. Yeah, yeah. Super easy to record, and it just sort of makes kind of editing and everything super easy, and then sending off by email. Like, it's it's amazing. Um, you can so, turn it into an MP3 already, yeah. which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is more complicated than you realize. <laughs> uh, what system do you have on, uh, to record on at home? So at home, because I'm a music producer, I use Logic. There's a lot of uh, music producers that use Logic. I don't think a ton of VO people use Logic. I think they're either using Pro Tools or Twisted Wave or Audacity, Audacity even. Or, yeah. I use Sound Studio because it has like five buttons. <laughs> <laughs> As simple as humanly possible. <laughs> That's right. Um, so when you're, so you have, now you have a demo, you have an agent. How do you keep a voiceover agent? Especially because it's so hard between jobs. Like mm. how do you quote unquote keep an agent and, or how do you like move from one to the next seamlessly? I think that's something that people are also get, you know, as soon as they get one, they feel like it's gold. Yeah. Something about the voiceover thing. I feel like people like, feel like there's like one good agent out there and once they get one they it's a it's a weird struggle to like keep it in a weird way I get that and I understand where where folks like that are coming from and I think interestingly enough rather than stressing about booking jobs and making the agent money I think if you're just a a good person to be around. I think that makes more of a difference. I love that that sounds revolutionary. <laughs> I know. Yeah, don't be an asshole. But honestly, there's so many uh you know, we, we're all dramatic people. We all have lots of emotions that we're trying to manage. Leave that shit outside of the, your agent's office. Don't come in stressing about whatever. Don't give attitude. Like, be grateful that you're there. And even if you're having the shittiest day, save it. Put on your acting face and act happy and then get out of there and then break down in your car. You know what I mean? Cry in your car. That's yeah. what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little dark, but <laughs> it's true though. I mean, just just don't create problems because I think the first time, you know, the the first the beginning of the end is when you give an agent a reason to go. This person might be kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. There is a line around the globe of people wanting to be with this agency, and so just be 
be pleasant, you know what I mean? And do your job and be professional. You know, if you're if they book you on something, show up at the job. You know, there's you you never you'd be amazed how many agents have told me that they, oh yeah, I booked this my actor on this job. They just didn't go. Oh my god. You know? And I called them, I'm like, you're make you've made me look really bad. And they're just like, oh, I'm sorry, I just I was so tired this morning. I'm like, really? Like I don't even get that, but it's but it happens, and so um, I'm sure anybody listening to this has enough ambition to actually know, like <laughs> you know, to have a little better sense. But uh-huh. I really don't think it's rocket science to stay with an agency. I mean, sure, you do want to book jobs, but there's this very very fine line to walk when it comes to doing what you need to do to try and work and not letting that influence how you work, because once you start getting in your head, like, I really need to book this job. Oh my gosh, I've been with my agency. I haven't booked anything for a year and a half. I really need to book something. Once you start letting that influence the way you read, it's done. People can hear the desperation. You sound so thirsty. Yeah, I know. This person's really trying to sell me on these dog biscuits. It's like, it's just not going to work. Um, so it sounds so hippy dippy and weird, but you got to have a life, man. You got to like, you got to live outside of your pursuits and enjoy it and have other things to focus on. Not only that, because having a life and having experiences and living and and spending time with people and blah, 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 that's only going to enrich what you bring to your voiceover reads, right? Mm -hmm. Because that allows you to bring more of you. You've met those actors in town that just don't seem to have any personality. You're sort of like, you know? All about acting. I'm so bored of those. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, I would so much more, especially nowadays and especially in voiceover, I think, People want to hear, they want to hear people that sound like real people in commercials and in animation. Animation too is less of the wacky voice, less of the wacky, crazy energy. And it's more like there's so many series out there now where it's like, this just sounds like my neighbor just talking about his cats. <laughs> and so it, it really, I think, is, is going in that direction where just being a real person and being a nice real person is going to, that positions you already in a good place. That's beautiful. No. What's the difference for you from auditioning for like a commercial copy versus video game versus uh, like a cartoon? Right. So, yeah, it's interesting. All the different types of VO, promo, narration, mm-hmm. they're all different. And you put on just like a slightly different hat. It's still a hat that you like to wear and that is you, but it's just a little bit of a different approach. So with commercials, in general, I'm just me. I'm just completely just myself. Um I think that's typically what lands with the commercials. Um, For promo, you know, it's such a science. And yeah, I like to stay in more or less my regular voice, but there's a lot of technicalities that go into doing promo um, that you have to be mindful of. As a musician, um, that actually is is pretty helpful in in understanding the promo read because promo reads in general are so very musical when it comes to pitch, when it comes to tempo, when it comes to your inflections. These are all things that are very musical principles. And so when I'm doing a commercial read, I generally don't worry about am I going up, am I going down? Maybe at the end, whatever the tagline is, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 7-Eleven, we're here for you, whatever. You want to end it in a certain way, you know? But... Um, when it comes to promo, there really are very specific ways that they want to put a button on it or like put the nail in the coffin, they say, really end it down, really make it final. Or, you know, uh, just shrug it off, make it this, make it that. Um, So you have to be a little bit more mindful of that stuff with promo. With video games, it's more just 
at that point, just living the character and playing. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, very rarely in a video game audition do I think about, am I ending this up or down or whatever? Yeah. Um, and, and same thing with animation. It really is about just sort of living that character and whatever comes out, comes out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> when you do something like that, when you book the job for a video game, for example, is it you do the recording and then they do the animation? Or is it like doing... Um, uh, ADR, where right. you see it and then you voice it. It's a mix. So I do a good amount of um, like anime dubbing, um, that kind of stuff. There, you're going to be trying to actually, you need to speak to their lip flaps. Um, and that's a whole other kind of set of skills that you need to develop because there's a method um, for how you go in. They preview the original language, oftentimes it's Japanese if we're talking about Japanese anime. Um, you hear it, then they go back, and there are these three beeps that come, and you speak on what would be the imaginary fourth beep that's not there. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so it's similar to ADR. Yeah, it's very similar to ADR. Uh, but if you're talking about prelay animation, where you record your voices first, and then they animate to you, well, then you're free to do whatever. When do you find that out in the process? After you book it? I think it's pretty clear um, when you're sent the audition what type of project it's for. Okay. So if they say, hey, we're, you know, we're doing this... Uh, um, you know, a dub of a live action foreign film or so, you know, you're going to be matching lip flaps. If they say this is an original, you know, animated series, well then, you know, most likely you're going to have the freedom to just act and then they will, they will animate to what you've done. Cool. Yeah. That makes it fun. Yeah. What's your favorite thing to do? Oh my gosh. I, you know, it sounds it's like such a cop-out, but I really, truly love it all. I really yeah. do. You know, and for different reasons, you know. I'm sure as an on-camera actor, you love doing horror movies for certain reasons. You love doing commercials for certain reasons, you mm-hmm. know. There's different, I think it stimulates different parts of your brain, and you get different sort of gratification um, from different things. Same reason why I get certain gratification from my music production. And when I write music and this and that, it's a different feeling, but it just all feels good, you know. If I had to pick one thing that I could only do and I had to just do that forever and I could not do any other type of voiceover, I guess it would just be original prelay animation. Okay. And I think that's the case for a so lot like of a folks. a lot of free play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's only if I had to choose. I mean, okay. honestly, it's... Oh, wait. I have an audition question I just remembered. Yeah. I'm going to circle back really quick. Uh, when you do an audition, do you ever add a word or two like a button at the end or anything like that oh, or do you always, always okay no 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 always 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 yes yeah no i feel like that too because they listen to like 200 of the exact same 10 words and then someone says 12 words and you're like oh that was interesting well yeah and not only that but i mean it has to be done tastefully i will mm-hmm. say there are people who will do an audition and they'll just go off on and write their <laughs> own story <laughs> yeah exactly but to put in life like extra words uh you know extra button that's sort of funny that'll make somebody laugh breaths stutters like talk the way you talk you know that all will bring life to something they're hearing these words over and over and over and over anything that'll make you stand out in a positive way is great so i really recommend that I love that. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, okay, going back to the work aspect of it, how do you take care of your voice and yourself? Because you're obviously very busy. You're doing a lot of stuff. Music composing, you have a whole family. Um, how do you take care of your voice and stuff like that? Honestly, the th- two things most important for me are hydration and sleep. You know, I just ha- you just have to drink water and make sure and 
that you stay hydrated because you just all sorts of weird things happen when you don't hydrate enough. Mm-hmm. You know, not only do your, does your voice get scratchy, but then there's like, you can get random mucus things going on that affect, you know, and then you sound nasally or congested or whatever. So just keep water flowing through your system all day long <laughs> and sleep. If you don't sleep enough, like not only does it affect the way your voice sounds, but just emotionally, you're just not going to be in as good a place. And people will sense that lack of joy in, in your presence in the studio, you know? Uh-huh. So, I think it affects your creativity a lot, too. Oh, when it I don't does. Sleep, I'm just, I'm so blah. Yeah. And the brain just doesn't work the same anymore, you know? So um, it's, again, one of those sort of really broad, uh, sweeping things where, you know, you just have to take care of your life so that you can bring that life to the booth, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're, if you're in a bad place, it's, you know, you got to do what you have to to work out of it before you get in there. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a job, if you're on a series or something, like, you don't want them to go, what's up with Greg today, you know? <laughs> you got to cry in your car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's man. the best. So you mentioned you started producing. So mm. you've been directing some yeah. actors. Mm-hmm. What have you learned from that? Open well, up that box. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly the biggest thing that that brings to light is understanding what it's like to be a director. And that that has really informed, even though this project has wrapped fairly recently, um, that has really informed that much further how I approach my jobs and auditions as an actor. Because I've, I now understand what it's like when you as the director, you want a certain performance and you're hearing something in your head and you're not... You're, you're taking, you know, it's three takes in and you haven't been able to get the actor going in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times you'll have to resort to a line read. I was going to say that I yeah. feel like that would be an, something I would easily fall into in that position to mm-hmm. line read for someone because it's so just vocal. Yeah. And the thing, the, the issue with line reads though, is that once you get the actor out of the space where they're acting and they're just trying to mimic, there's other stuff that you can lose. Even if you get the inflection and the pacing that you want, there are other things that may go away and you just have to be ready for that. And so um, that's made me very conscious as an actor. When a director does give me a line read, it's like, okay, I realize they want to hear something and they're having trouble getting me there without really laying it out for me. I'm going to give them the line read, but I really need to make sure not to focus too much on the music and the pacing they're giving me because I don't want to lose the performance that we've built up to this point. So that's a big thing that I've, I've realized that I need to be mindful of as an actor when I do get a line read. It's like, okay, we've reached that point. Don't stress. Don't freak out. It happens to everybody. But you now need to really focus and go, okay, they wanted it to end down. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tonight on AMC. They really wanted it to be that instead of tonight on AMC, right? They really wanted it to end down. So let me give them that down thing, but let's not lose whatever it is that we've built at this point in those three takes that we were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you've learned in that process? Um, I think it's actually made me more uh, compassionate towards myself and actors in general because I realize how you know, as actors, we have our own experience when we go into the booth and we have our own stresses and our own, you know, getting into our own head and stuff. As a director, you really see it from a different point of view and you can hear it in the reads. And, you know, it, uh, when an actor is struggling, like, yeah, I feel for them. And I think I'm a little bit easier on myself as an actor to have struggles in the booth and to not be getting the read exactly the way they want. It's like, look, uh, we're all different people. We all have a completely different experience in our brain. 
we're not mind readers. Mm -hmm. And so the whole point of the actor-director dynamic is to try and get on the same page. And so I think I'm just, uh, the directing experience has allowed me to be a little bit more forgiving of myself uh, when it comes to, you know, when, I, when I'm doing my acting work. And that's a good thing. The more forgiving you can be of yourself, the less stress there is, the less getting in your head there is, and there's less things that are going to sabotage your, your work in the booth. Yeah, it's just lighter that way. Yeah, I definitely. Like okay, well, we're almost done. This goes, goes, no. always goes by so fast. I know. Has it been that long already? Yeah, it's almost been an hour. Oh my gosh. I know, it flies. <clears throat> so if you could go back and tell early Greg something or multiple things about what you've learned in this process or life in general about doing this work in LA. Um, what have you, what would you tell yourself? Oh gosh. You know, honestly, and again, this sounds so generic, but I, I think these cliches are around for a very good reason that it would, it would just be stop worrying so much about what other people think of you, of what you do. You know, that, uh, that sort of, that preoccupation with how you're coming across, I think, is something that in general just slows one's development. Now, it could be the case that you need to go through that stage. Maybe that's just part of human development in general. You know, maybe you have to worry a lot about what people think of you so you know what it's like to not worry about what people think of you. Mm -hmm. um, so I always find it tricky because I don't know how much that information would have benefited me if I told myself that. Yeah. Just stop worrying about what people think of you. Well, <laughs> I'm a neurotic 20-something-year-old. Like, I can't help it. You might not have made the same choices if you weren't worried about what someone thought of you. Exactly. And, you know, so I guess maybe now that we're talking about it, now that we're fleshing this out, what I would tell myself is just don't worry about it. Just relax. If you screw up, that's going to be a part of your growth. And that's a positive. There's no wasted mistakes. You know what I mean? Whenever you mess up, if you biff an audition, my Disney casting director that I totally flailed in front of, whatever, it's like, you know what? That was a growing experience. It made me realize certain things. It informs me later when I realize what happened and I'm able to break it down. So um, I think probably the, the best uh, advice I would give is just don't let mistakes uh, upset you quite so much mm -hmm. because it's not wasted. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And then if you could tell something to actors who are out there right now at home, just like, oh, I've always wanted to get into voiceover, period. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that was a lot of reactions I had when I asked people, you know, what would you like to ask a voiceover artist? And they're like, oh, I just really, I, I would like to get into it. They're yeah. starting from zero. Yeah, What yeah. would you tell them? Okay, a lot of things. A, <laughs> first off, the most important thing, don't think that you need to do funny voices. Don't think your Christopher Walken impression is the key to your voiceover career. It's not, right? <laughs> Unless you're Piot Michael, like the just sort of being able to whip out some impression is not going to land you on Mad TV, right? Um, if those of you who don't know who Piot Michael is, he's amazing. Check him out. Um, but okay, so get out of the I do voices camp, right? B, um, it's all about the acting. If you do have an acting background, great. You're ready to start this journey. If you don't, take acting classes, take improv classes. Get to the point where you're comfortable just riffing, just going off, getting into a character and living in it. All that stuff is absolutely essential. And if you cloud it up with sort of the technicalities of voiceover and this and that along the way, you know, you'll get there, but it's just going to be a muddier process. So 
I'd say, because there's a lot of folks, I think, who want to get into voiceover just because they have a big, huge, booming voice, or she has a little pixie voice and whatever, you know, you may grab a job here and there, and that could be gratifying, but as far as really making a career out of this and becoming somebody that they go, you know, we want her, let's get her in here, um, the acting's got to be behind it. So become an actor first if you're not, and if you are, get out of the funny voices camp and just do you. Uh, And also, the last thing I will say is get feedback and perspective from third parties, whether it's a coach, whether it's a workout group or whatever, you need to get the perspective of other people who don't hear your voice the same way you do and don't view your performance the same way you do and get honest feedback to know what it is you're doing that works, what it is that you're doing that doesn't work so that you can grow and become better. The whole goal of it in the end is to get in the booth, to have the first thing that comes out of your mouth be usable, right? And once the director goes, great, I've got something I can use, let's play so I can have different approaches to this moment. The key is to be directable, to be able to take direction gracefully and gratefully and give them something else that's also usable, right? This is what you want to do for a director is give them choices. You want to be the type of person that the problem you've created for the director is they love your takes so much they can't choose between them. As opposed to there are these three takes, none of them are usable. How do we get something I use out of this actor? So I think that covers the main things I would say because that's a lot already. That's a lot. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. This, this is so awesome. It's so good to see you after all this time too. I know. It's I think it's been good. at least a few years. Well, you know, I'm only 21 also, so <laughs> can't imagine it's been that long. We're all, <laughs> we're all forever youthful. <laughs> oh, man. If people want to like find you, check out your work, check out your music, um, your voice, anything like that, any place you want to direct them to. Yeah. Um, gregchun.com is my website. And then my Twitter is... Uh, it's the at sign, I think. Mm-hmm. Greg underscore Chun. Because uh, Greg Chun was taken. You just said the at sign. You're officially not 21. What? What is it? You just say your name. You don't say the at sign. Oh, my gosh. That's really unfortunate. Can we do that over again? Yeah, try it again. Take two. <laughs> okay, so my Twitter is just Greg underscore Chun. Because Greg Chun was already taken. I'm leaving it in, but that was great. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having awesome. me. Yeah, Thanks, guys. Awesome. And I'll talk to you in just a bit. Bye, everyone. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Greg, thank you so much for your time and energy. I had a blast recording this with you. If you guys are curious about any of the things we talked about, you can always go to onebrokeactress.com and check out the podcast page and click on the link to this specific podcast. Anything we mentioned in here, all the links, everything will be on that page after this podcast is released. There's also a ton of other good stuff on there, so keep an eye out. As the podcast season comes to an end, I will be posting more articles and lots of good stuff coming down the pipe. So as always, please, if you have not, share this podcast with someone this week. Actually, don't write a review. Don't subscribe. Just share this podcast with one person. That is my goal for you. Don't worry about any of the other stuff. We'll leave reviewing for another week. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. And as always, follow me at Sam Valentine on Instagram. But more importantly, share this podcast with one person. Thanks, guys, so much. And I will talk to you next week.